Welcome to A Moment of Change, brought to you by On Purpose London. 2020 has brought significant political, social and economic disruption to many areas of society. It is a moment of change that will lead to fundamental shifts in the world going forward, for better and for worse. In this short podcast series, we will speak with leaders working in various areas within the social and environmental impact sectors to find out what impact 2020 has had on them and on their challenges, both professionally and personally. On Purpose is a non-profit organisation and community that believes in putting purpose before profit as a way to create an economy that works for all. Associates from the On Purpose programme are asking the questions in each episode of A Moment of Change. Over to them. So welcome to A Moment of Change. Uh, in today's episode, we'll be talking to Carly Trisk-Grove, restaurateur, bee leader and co-creator of a new restaurant concept, Op-Op or One Plate, One Price. Carly describes Op-Op as a model for a better run restaurant, something she's well qualified to talk about, having seen firsthand the issues that face the industry in her 14 years running a community cafe with her husband and team. I'm really excited to hear more about Op-Op and Carly's recent move to Devon in today's episode. It would be great if we were in the same room um, with good audio set up, but unfortunately with ongoing COVID restrictions, we'll be talking today from our homes via Zoom. But despite that, a very warm welcome, Carly. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for asking me. It's always nice to be asked to speak about my favourite subject. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, I wonder if we could start by stepping back a bit. I believe you, you started your working life with a brief stint as a management consultant before you went on to set up your first food venture, the Cafe in the Park, back in 2005. Um, just wondered what drew you to the food world in the first place? Oh, it's uh, difficult to know where to start. I guess um ever since a young age there was just always pure joy from food and eating and it wasn't I didn't come from a, a home of great cooks but at all um, but I did come from a home where sitting around a table was you know a huge part of each day and um, grandparents that would you know have us all over cousins and everyone um, I'm Jewish so the Friday night dinner was a huge feature in my childhood and there was always good food and lots of it not ever gourmet but plentiful and lots of conversation so I guess that's kind of what started my love for food and then I know that you know as a child I was really heavily into the beauty without cruelty campaign and and followed Anita Roddick and the body shops work and I remember being told off at school because it was far too graphic and they didn't approve but the point is that I kind of saw even then that beauty didn't need to come at a price and I think that's kind of how I then kind of followed with food you know food didn't need to come at a cost for anyone we, we should all have joy in it and, and no one should suffer in its in its production or getting to our table so yeah I just I was just drawn drawn to it being a, a good thing in in so many ways and, and just it's just pleasure isn't it it's it's pleasure to share it absolutely it's just total pleasure I can't even describe what it is what it is my favorite thing is to have lots of people sat around my table yeah I'd agree with you completely on that I think that probably leads into to a question around your initial food venture, the cafe in the park, because I've, I've watched your brilliant YouTube video on, on the cafe. And it's really clear from that video, listening to, to you and your customers and staff talk about the cafe, that providence of in, ingredients was really important in terms of your commitment to supporting farmers and producers who really shared your values. I wondered if you could tell me a bit about why that was such an important aspect of the business for you and, and how you went about sourcing your ingredients for the cafe. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of 
it, it just made business sense. First of all, it, it made total business sense. I always kind of thought, well, if I buy from people and I show them respect and I show them that I value them, they'll do the same back in, in a perfect world and, and it'd be better for business. So, you know, some of it just comes from, from the idea that that is the best, the best way. The, I've always said, you know, the best way to, to make your business sustainable is to run it sustainably. It, it, just, it just makes sense to me. It's just really obvious. And, and I guess that's where I started. So, you know, as an example, we always use the same dairy. They were just down the road from us. And they, for 14 years, they delivered 364 days a year. We were open Boxing Day. They, they had a day off, which was allowed. We allowed that. But they would come every day. They would stock our fridges for us. We would be busy making coffees. They would see what we needed. And on the day when we ran out or got close to running out, we'd send an SOS call and they'd be there within half an hour because they they knew that they needed to prioritize us at that moment. So it it was just a win-win. It it just it just seems so obvious. The food miles thing, of course, you know, if you can use local, but it's it's always about the people and, and we had a relationship because because we took time to get to know them. And that relationship helped our business. It helped us make money and making money helped us do the good work we wanted to do it, it yeah it just kind of I, I don't know how to describe it better than that it just seems so obvious to me yeah absolutely I mean you talk about respecting and valuing people and again from from your video it was really obvious that people and community was really at the heart of your business was that intentional from the outset when you started the cafe in the park and, and how did you build community into the business was there anything sort of really valuable you learned along the way so I guess where it started was you know, the, the little, the joy, it said that the cafe started as a hut in a park, literally in the middle of a hundred acres, a little hut. And it was just, you know, a pipe dream. I was 26 you know, I had a baby, two-year-old, I was pregnant. I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it? It just, it just felt like a really good hobby to have to, you know, to get to know people. And it turned out to be a really expensive hobby, actually, <laughs> for quite a few years. So it just seemed like a lovely idea. And a way to chat and have conversation because I just love conversation I just like getting to know people and I like stories so it kind of started with that idea and then I think when we actually built so we started with a little hut and after a couple of years people liking what we were doing we said you know we could we could actually do this a bit more seriously than an expensive hobby we could actually build something here and so we went out and we got finance and and we raised over half a billion to build our building and I think from uh, if I call that day one in 2009 when we started in our in our actual building, um, I realised that the community that was that was vital was the people that worked under our roof because if we didn't look after them and make them feel valued, they wouldn't deliver a product that people would want to come for. Um, and it, it that that really served us well. It just always we just always needed to look at what we were doing and think. How is this impacting the people that are that are coming here every day and that we are enabling them to have a, a livelihood? How how is that impacting them? Of course, we're ultimately doing it for a paying customer, but the people under our roof, they were our community. Um, and um, yeah, they were the priority. And in terms of um, did I learn anything from that? I think I learned that um, the customer isn't always right, which is, um, you know, not the first person to say that. Um, the customer isn't always right because there were some times when the customers, sadly, I think people's expectations are becoming a little unrealistic and, and businesses feel like they just need to permanently just, just meet demands 
quicker and better than the next business in order to um, keep their edge. But I think that sometimes you have to reframe that and, and think, right, how is this impacting the people that are actually doing the work? So, for example, we were really busy. We got really busy and really popular. A huge privilege. We served a lot of people. Um, and we, we decided to stop serving food between 11.30 and 12 every day because our team needed, needed a break. They just needed time to reset between breakfast and lunch. And a lot of customers didn't like that. Um, but, but my community that I was responsible for was the people under our roof. And, and I think actually the customers got a better product by me putting those people before the customers. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a, a, a pretty unusual approach in business at the moment. Obviously the cafe in the park became very successful and I believe you, you sold it last year. Um, so let's fast forward to 2020. You, you've sold the cafe. You've moved your family down to Devon now, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Big adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And spent some some valuable time over lockdown developing a new business venture, Opopple One Plate One Price. Um, and again, you describe it as a new restaurant model that's potentially a blueprint for how to run restaurants better. I'm really intrigued to hear more about what you've got in store with it. So first off. Can I just ask you to describe what the One Plate, One Price model is and how Opop will build on that successful business venture with the cafe in the park? Great. Yeah, it's a big question. So Opop is, is, is just very simply our model for uh, how to run or our approach for how to run a town centre restaurant group that, that serves tasty, nutritious food at, that's price accessible to lots of people. I think we saw that's that's what we were doing on a small scale and now we want to take everything we've learned and and kind of broaden our horizons and have a bigger impact so op op the idea is that lots of people can eat well that that each plate has a fixed price so that everyone everyone in the restaurant is eating the same the same food whatever access to finance they have and that it is kept at a low cost because of the high volumes and also because it's going to be mainly vegetable centric food which enables us to keep a low cost so we're, we're talking kind of um, breakfast at a four pounds and and lunch at eight those prices might vary but not by much the idea is that you can come in the food is ready so it's kind of canteen style so we've got people continually making the food so that people can come in whether it be on a lunch break or if their time you know they don't have to book this is this is very casual dining this is real real kind of almost how you might eat at home but um, making it really accessible so that's that's the kind of simplicity we took what we saw and we you know we 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 moved to Devon it was a big move we we grew up where our cafe was in fact we met at school so we've never been anywhere so um, coming to Devon was a big adventure and luckily our kids said they'd come with us well we wouldn't have gone obviously but um, it was it was (laughs) We, we, we were really surprised that they were up for it as well. So it was a big deal. And so we, we sold the business, which was it was it was just so central to our lives. It was everything. It was physically and emotionally central to our lives. We lived five minutes away from it. We, we were there every day. Um, and then and then suddenly it was gone. And then suddenly we were in Devon. And um, then we've had this year, this phenomenal year um, to to rethink and to reframe. And I think we just really can see that there is a better way to run a restaurant and, it, and it's not groundbreaking and it's not revolutionary. We just build it better. So we kind of started with a blank piece of paper and thought, right, 
what is it that we saw firsthand that wasn't working? And then what is it we overheard from being in the industry for so many years? And we just looked at every aspect. So from zero hour contracts, from a reliance on tipping to boost wages, from restaurants that I feel serve food that's high on empty calories and low on nutrition, restaurants that put style way above substance, restaurants that rely on central kitchens. So they take away all the autonomy from the actual site no one's actually gaining transferable skills because they're just opening packets and pressing microwave buttons. You know, how can we how can we do that so that, that people actually we're actually building something with more value? And I guess, you know, it all sounds very lovely and, and utopian, but how how do you do that? And I guess it's not a traditional model, but there's a growing number of people out there that that are looking to invest with with impact. And that's how we feel we can make this happen. It can't go down a traditional investment route. That's where we started. Restaurants that are purely profit-driven, I think, create bad practices. That's what's happened. And ultimately, low value for the customer. I'm not sure all these branded chains, and who knows what's going to happen to a lot of them now. Obviously, it's hugely sad because lots of people will lose jobs. But I'm not sure how many people that go to these branded chains are actually being delivered a good product. So, yes, I think by finding the right investors... And setting out with the goal to build back better and build a restaurant that's fit for a better future, I think everyone can benefit. I think the customers, the supply chain, and the people involved, everyone, everyone can get something out of this, not just the people at the top. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Um, you, you mentioned also about the opportunity for leveling up communities. Is that something yeah. you can tell us a bit more about as well? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of comes down to two things well training and having the finance so I think a lot of people I I heard so many times over the years I'd love to run a restaurant it just it was just lots of people think it's a lovely thing to do and it is a lovely thing to do and I would highly recommend it but I think because restaurants have become quite financially successful they've become you can't have access to running a restaurant unless you're in funds it's just so so one of the big things we want to do is to create a partnership scheme where people can earn ownership of the restaurant so they will bank equity instead of a bonus every year so every year that their site is profitable they will bank equity so they're they building something up so that we are we are putting that we are taking that profit that might have previously in another business model been delivered as dividends to shareholders we are going to be reinvesting a lot of that so that people can earn earn back and and get something out of what they're putting into the people that are actually doing the work so that's kind of one way of leveling up but the other way is um that we're going to set up our own training school so um there's a huge amount of research done on what's happening in the hospitality industry and one of the the things that's coming out is that the training just isn't fit for purpose a lot of people um start hospitality courses and drop out the people that are delivering them haven't been in industry for many years there's just we're not telling our kids to go and be chefs and restaurant owners we're, we're just it's not seen as a valid profession and, and we need to change that so we want to create our own training school and we want the people that work with us to not just learn about how to cook and how to make great coffee but also how to run a business the best ways to run a business um and so that they can go up and, and be change makers in their own community so that we we are not just doing something that will be good for our business, but that eventually, because people will leave, they'll move on, that they go on and that they, they do good elsewhere. And and that's how we see a kind of 
spreading the wealth and, and a bit of leveling up in, I, I don't know, that's kind of, you know, it, it all does feel a little utopian, but why not? Why shouldn't it work like that? You know, why, why shouldn't you get a job in a restaurant and, and learn how to run a restaurant at the same time? Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. Having been to culinary school myself, I'd, I'd completely agree that, that that business angle of it is, is something that's really missing. Along those lines, you've mentioned in the past that you see the venture as an opportunity for collaboration. How close are you to launching Opop and, and how can we get involved? <laughs> are there any opportunities for collaboration or involvement that might interest the listeners? Well, how close are we to launching? So we started with the idea before there was a pandemic and, and sadly, obviously, who knows what's going to happen in hospitality. I guess some might say this is the worst time to be working on a new restaurant concept and some might say it's the best time. So we collaborating is everything because I think what, what the pandemic has shown so many of us is that we we are all interdependent on one another. We, we need each other. And so we're, we're definitely going to, we're definitely at the stage now where we're looking for seed investments so that we can really build this model and get ready for our first site. So we definitely need to start talking to people that that might be interested in working with us. We're speaking to some interesting people. So we're collaborating, hopefully, with organisations such as um, Chefs in Schools, who um, do brilliant work in London, but they want to expand throughout the UK in putting restaurant quality chefs in schools because they believe, and I think it's brilliant, that if we start in schools and we show children the best way to eat, but also we put really positive role models in those schools as chefs that we can, the whole dynamic can change. We can get kids taking that message home, wanting to be working in hospitality in their future careers. So one of the collaborations we're looking at is possibly training some of the school chefs in our kitchens in the school holidays. So when we're low on staff because our people are having holidays we have a cohort of chefs from schools come in and and you know it's kind of a win-win they we get the extra members of staff they get the experience of working in a professional restaurant they take that back so collaborations where where there are win-win opportunities you know who doesn't want who doesn't look for those sorts of opportunities so yes we we just want to work with other organizations that share our values as much as possible because you know we we can't possibly do everything and we certainly don't know everything i i love that idea you've obviously thought of every single angle on this <laughs> Try, hugely, hugely inspiring i wondered how big your ambition is for opop you're obviously based in devon now devon in the southwest is the most amazing spot for food lovers being a food it lover is. myself i know there are so many amazing farmers and producers and restaurants there it's um, a tough it, life living here, really. I can imagine. I can imagine. Is it something that you see as as being a, a Devon-based concept or something that, that's focused on the Southwest or that will extend to to the UK or even beyond that? So it's it's always a good question. And we were having, we have a few different mentors that we're working with at the moment. And, and we were working with someone yesterday who uh, who's a social enterprise consultant. And she asked a great question. She said, how will you know when you got there? And um the answer, well, a long pause, is that I guess there's no, it, yes, it could be, it could go beyond Devon quite quite easily. And, you know, it could be that there is an op-op on, in every town centre, or it could be that there is a handful of op-ops and there are lots of other restaurants that use our blueprint because they've seen that we have, we have managed to prove as Ben and Jerry so aptly put it in, in their book many years ago, that you can run a values-led business and make money too. So that's how we'll know when we've got there, when when the industry is better 
and it doesn't matter if that's through lots of our restaurants with the op-op name or through just lots of people copying what we're doing because we we actually do achieve what we're setting out to which is to prove that hospitality can be a force for good can be good for everyone that's part of it what an adventure <laughs> that's it that's it that's when I'll know that's when I'll know I've done it yeah okay so let's perhaps move to the to look at the wider world a little bit our experience with COVID. So obviously it's, it's been a, a huge year. Our experience with COVID and lockdowns really exposed a lot of the inequalities that exist in society. Um, it's really made a lot of us think about things like climate change and the environment. I read a blog that you wrote last summer where you described your journey with the cafe in the park and you talked about how it wasn't really until 2014, 2015 time. So pretty much 10 years into the business that sustainability became more mainstream and that people really started to to begin to understand what you were doing. I just wondered whether you think that 2020 has really supercharged our awareness and understanding of the impact we're having on the environment and the importance of considering how our food is grown and produced. I do, absolutely. Another big, big question. So I think, um, yeah, we were definitely early adopters we were founder members of what is the Sustainable Restaurant Association, which started with 51 restaurants and I think is now at over 12,000 because, you know, sustainability is high on everyone's agenda. But I think a lot of people that have been part of that movement have done so because they want to tick boxes and not everyone is doing it because they really, really believe that it's better for everyone. So I think what 2020 has delivered is our our realization on how interdependent we all are and also very significantly that the value that somebody adds doesn't always correspond to their material wealth and I think that these inequalities in our society have driven and wedged and polarized our communities and people are now seeing that it, it just doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't be that way and we have suddenly been terrified of not being able to get I don't know our our hummus or our, our, you know, our Greek yogurt or our olives or, you know, because we just, we just, we're suddenly realizing that, you know, these things aren't always available the minute we want them. And it's maybe hopefully started to make more people value this. But I think what 2020 has, has shown us going back to that interdependence bit is, is the serving and being served bit. So when I, when I was at the cafe, it was really interesting because I was, I was part of the community I was serving. So I was on both sides of the counter. And it was a really interesting perspective because, and I, and, it, and sadly, I have to say that in the 14 years I did it, I did see more unrealistic expectations every year. Just people not really valuing what was on offer there, not really, it was just expected. Um, there was a sense of entitlement that I just didn't like. And it got to the point where sometimes I'd be at the till. We had a till system and people queued and we were fortunate enough to have long queues most days. And it got to the point where I sometimes was at the till and I just wanted to scream, you all want to eat here and you don't want to work here. And I'm hoping that's, and I'm trying to come back to the original question now, what have we learned? But I think the point I'm trying to make is hopefully what we've learned is what's important and that those, that opportunity to to be served and to enjoy good food is actually so hugely important to us we we miss it so much when it's gone that I'm hoping that we will have more value in the people that are involved and 
getting that to us. Yeah, I think I share your optimism on that. I think that I've heard more and more people talking about growing food at home and concerns around food waste and really thinking about where our food comes from. So, yeah, I, I think that's perhaps one of the one of the positives that does come out of 2020. So moving on a little bit, um, you and I met when we both did the Bee Leaders course with Bee Lab UK. For, for those listeners who don't know what B-Lab is, just to explain, it's the non-profit organisation that's behind the B-Corp movement. B-Lab describes itself as a leader in economic systems change with a global network that, that creates standards, policies and tools for business. Um, and B-Lab certifies companies that are known as B-Corps. So Carly, it seems to me from, from what you've described that the B-Corp movement is very much aligned with the direction you're taking off of. I just wonder why did you become a B leader and how do you think the B Corp movement will feature in your future plans? Starting with where B Corp will feature, I find this really difficult because to me it's so obvious. Every business should be a B Corp. It, it's it it just there's just no reason. It's just a great blueprint for how to run a business better. And and you know, they've they've just it's it's like a roadmap, isn't it, to look at all the different areas you should consider when setting up your business. And how to make sure that you are building it so that all stakeholders are considered equally. So it's just obvious to me. It's almost difficult to, to say it any other way. And once we set up OPOP, which we're very, very close to doing, we will be applying for pending B Corp status, which I think is, is a brilliant thing that not enough people know about B Corp, yeah. is that even when you haven't been established and we haven't traded, you can still set up your business very much with aligned to, to the B Corp roadmap and, and, use the, and use the impact assessment so that, you, that you're setting it up as you mean to go on. I always think that you have to start with the end in mind. So you have to start building your business with the view that it could get really big and you want to have all those values at the core of what you're doing. And so starting as applying for um, pending B Corp status, I think is a brilliant way to do that. So we will very much be doing that. And, you know, the, the B Corp community, of course, as well, is, is a huge asset because suddenly you have all these people that you don't need to kind of explain your values because they just get it. Yeah. And it's just so nice to just have people that get it. And why did I do the B Leader course? I think I was probably one of the only people on the course that wasn't kind of acting in a sort of consultancy role. But I guess as we grow our business, we will be acting in a consultancy role because we will be enabling people to run restaurants, empowering them to run their own restaurants by supporting them with all the back office support that restaurants that restaurants need, but letting the people that run those restaurants do what they probably do best, which is being hospitable and hosts. But we want them to be B Corps in their own right. So the best way to do that was to, to learn how to help businesses become a B Corp and the B Leader course was brilliant in that it, it really helped us just understand the thinking behind it all and how it was all built and so that we can support people and say you know it, you, you don't have to score massively you just have to score well in across all these areas you just have to start by getting everything right from the beginning so no it was it was a brilliant course I'm delighted I did it. Yeah, I think you and I are very much aligned on that in terms of the blueprint that, that B Corp offers. And I also agree that having spoken to, to a number of businesses that have, have gone through the, the impact assessment process, I think doing it from the very outset is definitely the way to do it. Trying to, to retrofit something at a later date makes it so much harder. I, I'd imagine it's really in the business's interest to do it very early on. Absolutely. Totally agree. 
I've noticed that there appear to be relatively few restaurants and hospitality businesses in the B Corp community. Do you think that B Corp is well suited to the industry? This is a brilliant question, and it's a question that I've been asking B Lab myself. So I think the problem is that being a B Corp means you have to think about everyone involved in your business, and this is where restaurants are going wrong. So I think because restaurants are so profit-driven at the moment, they can't be so profit-driven whilst also considering the impact on their customers and the community and um, suppliers. So we're just not seeing restaurants. It's just too much to ask at the moment from a lot of restaurants. This is why we need to start again. So I think Jamie Oliver's just become a B Corp. His group has just become a B Corp. I think that's going to have a big impact. Sadly, he doesn't have many restaurants left, but he still has a lot of good things to say. I listened to a podcast with him the other day and I loved what he said. He it was it was a kind of similar theme and it was how do you change the world? And his his big thing was he would change the world by teaching all kids 10 recipes to save their life. The idea that, you know, food, good food can save your life. And I, I love that message. So he's become a B Corp and Riverford Organic have just become a B Corp. They're kind of the two they're the only two names really in the UK that um, are food related and be called. So it can be done and, and those organisations will set the, hopefully set the stage for others to follow. And, and it, it just, it does take sacrifice. It does take compromise. But, and this is the big but, I do believe that if you run your business well, ultimately it will be more successful, more financially successful. It will have the impact you want it to have and it will and it will have longevity. You have to have a long-term view. And I think that a lot of people in restaurants, it's, it's more of a short-term view and quick fixes and high impact and high profit returns. And, and it just needs to change. It just, it, it just can't be all things, but it, it can still, still do so much good. And I hope that lots of restaurants will kind of realize that especially after everything that's happened that that actually it's good for business ultimately it's good for business yeah I like the hope you're putting in there I I think um, it probably leads on neatly to our our final question but I would really love to invite you to share what you see as the biggest catalyst for positive change in the food and hospitality industry as we go into the final quarter of 2020. um, I think the biggest catalyst for positive change is the fact that we hopefully a lot of us have reconnected with food in the biggest shake-up in you know we're, we're all well, first of all we're all spending so much more time at home so we're having to spend more time thinking about what we're going to eat we're spending more time probably eating with our families than, than maybe we have done for a long time I think you know as a nation we've become far too disconnected from our food you know from where it comes from and from who grows it we've become far too reliant on processed foods. I think to the extent that a lot of us open our fridges and cupboards and we don't even consider foods are even processed. You know, I'm thinking our pesto and our breakfast cereals, we don't even see them as processed foods anymore. I think that's that's a huge issue. We have to, and, then, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with processed foods, but it's just, it shouldn't be all that we eat because, well, don't get me started. <laughs> so I think I think the biggest the biggest catalyst for change is that we have reconnected. We can see that the joy that food brings, the impact that good food can make on our health and on the environment. And I'd like to think, yeah, that there's a reconnection. We're, you know, like like you just said, we're we're baking more, we're we're growing our own more. You know, we're we're looking at fermentation courses and organic food boxes, and and I hope that the pause that COVID has generated has allowed allowed lots of people to rethink their relationship to food and 
and perhaps spend more time and money shopping locally or just to really value the people that bring food to our table. That, that's the big thing we need to do. We just need to value it more. We need to appreciate how important it is in our lives and therefore how we need to value the people that, that help us enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's why it's so important to hear from people like you, hearing those, those personal stories, I think really brings that home. Yeah, I think that's a great note to, to end the episode on. A huge thank you for joining us, Carly. It's really great to hear about your exciting new venture. And I'll be certainly watching your LinkedIn feed and, and looking out with great enthusiasm for, for developments on, on what happens at Duffop. Brilliant. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be asked. Thank you for listening. This episode is the last of five episodes in our 2020 A Moment of Change series. For our conversations around health inequality, community organising on behalf of undocumented immigrants, mutual aid groups and our changing attitudes to food, be sure to check out our first four episodes. This podcast series, A Moment of Change, is brought to you by On Purpose London, produced during the global COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 to shed light on some of the social and environmental issues that mattered most to them and that experienced turning points during this time of crisis. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review A Moment of Change on Apple Podcasts since that helps new listeners to find us. Subscribe to the podcast either there or on Spotify or on Google Play.